Welcome to Landmark Worship Center's audio podcast. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage your life. So open your heart and mind and receive what God has for you today. Chapter 8, we had been teaching out of this book. I do want to cover a few things here. Uh, and this might be a little bit different tonight. Um, uh, in the subject material, but we're going to talk about a doctrine that is in our uh, religious world today that, that is a doctrine that actually I feel like is um, bringing decep- so much deception on people's lives um, and it's going to be a, a doctrine that's going to be a great detriment to people's eternity. But we need to talk about it here tonight. Um, I know that I don't think there's anybody here that believes this, but it's something we need to talk about because there are people that in our world, in the religious world, that do believe this. And it's called eternal security. Uh, there's other tags that are put on it, predestination. Anybody heard these things? Uh, once saved, always saved. Okay, we've heard that. Um, but it says here in the book of Romans, as we're going through this chapter, uh, it, does talk about, it does talk about predestinate. So, the book of Romans eight twenty nine and verse 30, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now, what I'm going to do here tonight is I know that I'm not going to exhaust this subject all tonight. But I'm just going to talk about it tonight. But the way I look at it, I, I, I have... Um, I have the Word of God. I also have what I try to deal with is common sense about this subject. Uh, when you look at the Word of God, uh, what does predestination mean? What does eternal security mean? What does once saved, always saved mean? Um, first of all, predestination, and this is not a complete, exhaustive definition of it, but it's a part of it. Predestination means it's the doctrine of predestination is the teaching that before the creation of the world, God decided the eternal destiny of all rational creatures, that is, all angels and all human beings. Some men and angels are predestinated unto everlasting life, and others foreordained to everlasting death. What it's saying before the creation of the world that God already, you know, he already predestinated certain ones to go to a heavenly reward and others are not. He predestinated them. And it connects also with eternal security. Eternal security is the doctrine that people who believe in Jesus Christ uh, cannot lose their salvation. And once you're saved, 
you're always saved. In other words, that throws out the thought of backsliding, that once you're saved, you're always saved. Uh, and then, of course, uh, once saved, always saved goes along with that same thought. Now, where did this doctrine come from? Uh, it is a teaching of John Calvin. John Calvin uh, was a uh, theologian. He was a French theologian. Uh, he was a pastor. He was a reformer in Geneva during the Protestant Reformation. Um, he lived in the years of 1500 A.D., and there are... Uh, religions today that still stand on the doctrines of Calvinism, which is what it's about, that God in his sovereignty chooses certain ones to be saved. That God in his sovereignty chooses certain ones to be saved. Uh, of course, this doctrine, like many doctrines, sometimes evolves. It comes out in a certain way, but then it, as people... Think about it or teach it or whatever, and they might come up against something, then it evolves into something different. So there's a lot of things about this that, uh, that probably has evolved over the years, and, and we, could, we could go into a lot of different areas with it, but um, I, I know when you're talking to someone that believes in Calvinism, predestination, uh, once saved, always saved. Eternal security. You, you're going to present some things that you feel are very solid um, and solid thinking, according to the word, but then they're going to have a rebuttal against it. They will have an answer, so to speak, against it, against what you're saying to refute it. Uh, but it takes on many different views of thought, of beliefs, and it's held by various religions. Some of the religions that believe this, believe it or not, now this, I'm not saying all, well, let me, let me just go ahead and say some of the, some of the religions. I, and I don't always talk about certain religions other than when I'm dealing with certain doctrines. But uh, there's many Baptist churches that believe this. Uh, that we didn't, and, and these are actual quotes from their conventions that they have said. Uh, some of the Baptists believe, and I'm not going to say all Baptists believe that. Now, I want to understand that. This is a writing out of one of their um, conferences that they had. It says, and this is just a portion of it, it says, we deny that this Holy Spirit sealed relationship can ever be broken. We deny even the possibility of apostasy. Of course, Calvinism is once you're saved, you're always saved. You can, never, you can never lose out on heaven. Once you're saved, you're always saved. No matter what you do, uh, the Lutherans believe this, and listen to what their beliefs are on this. If God has elected me to salvation, I cannot be condemned no matter what I do. And again, if I am not elected to eternal life, it is of no avail what good I do. It is all, all my efforts are in vain anyway. Now let me explain that. I think you pretty well got that, that um, if God has elected me, if God has elected me to be saved for salvation, I cannot be condemned no matter what I do. 
So you can see where this doctrine is going and how that it can be very detrimental and, and very hurtful for people's eternity. That once you're saved, then it doesn't matter what you do, you're still saved. No matter what you do, you're still saved. Um, and then it also goes on, if I am not elected to eternal life, if God doesn't elect me to eternal life, it is of no avail what good I do. It is all, all my efforts are in vain anyway. So, and then there's other groups, some Presbyterians believe this also, and there's other groups that, that believe this doctrine also. The reason why I'm talking about it, because it's in the book of Romans chapter 8, and we've been talking about Romans, but I do want to touch base on this and just discuss it. Um, I'm looking at it from my thoughts, and I'm looking at it from Scripture, and I'm looking at it from what I try to do is just look at it from common sense also. Um, and as I said, the refuting of this doctrine has much more information than what I'll give you tonight in helping us to understand this. But to those of various religions that believe this doctrine, will, of course, they will have many entrenched responses to this uh, if you're trying to refute it. But here's the thing about it. They will, this is one of the responses they will have. Okay, if you ask the question, okay, if someone that comes to the Lord and receives salvation, we look at salvation as repentance, baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, and filling of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues, because that's what the Bible says, Acts 2.38, beginning in Jerusalem, uh, teach and preach in my name after the cross. So, and that's what they did. Um, but if you receive salvation... The question is, you would ask them, if you receive salvation and you sin and you backslide and you walk away from God, you never go back to God. The response is, you weren't called in the first place. You weren't called. Yep. You weren't called in the first place. So, <laughs> when you're trying to deal with this, you've got to deal with it with the Scripture. You've got to go into the Scripture and understand this. So, but the Word of God, uh, I believe, proves this. And uh, in different people's lives in the Bible, I believe, prove it also. But um, here, here's the way I look at this. A lot of times we, well, we need to know the doctrine of the Word of God and the truth. We need to know it. And we do need to understand, I'm not saying we need to just totally study false doctrine, but if we know the word of God, then nothing's going to sway us from the truth. It's the word of God. It's concrete. It's solid. But a lot of times we get in debate, into debating about certain doctrines. And in most cases, it really doesn't change people's beliefs in debating it. Sometimes it does. But my thought here is, of course, a lot of times in debate, it pushes people in their corners and then they just, they got their own corner, I'm going to stand here, I'll stand here till I die. Uh, maybe that's the way we are. But if it's the word of God, we will stand on it until we die. 
We believe the truth of the word of God. But debating a lot of times just pushes people into their corners and, and sometimes it doesn't change beliefs. Sometimes it does. But discussions. But I believe that if we can get people in the anointed presence of God, it, it does make a difference in people's lives, for sure. Uh, let them feel the peace and glory of God's presence in their life. And a lot of times I've heard people say, wow, this powerful experience. I've never felt this before. And it opens up their eyes and their thoughts that this is the touch of God. I've never felt a peace like this. I've never felt a happiness like this. But it is so very important for us to know what the Bible says. Uh, I believe it's a very deceiving uh, doctrine that opens the mind to think that you can do anything you want and still make it to heaven. That's where the deception comes in. It, it, you, can, you can do whatever you want to. I think it also comes along with people's uh, thinking that, okay, God's going God's to be okay with this. Well, what's the Bible say? That's what he is concerned about. Um, my view is also that um, if you're already chosen, then you don't need the church anymore. If you believe this doctor, you don't even need a pastor. You don't need the word of God. You don't need, you, you don't need repentance anymore. Once saved, always saved. You come to the Lord, you give your life to the Lord, and it doesn't matter what you do. Walk out the church, you can murder somebody. You can, you can, you can be a thief. You can, you can uh, steal people blind. You could sin. You could, you could curse God. You could do this and that. You're still saved. To me, that's the deception of this doctrine. Um, if you're not chosen then there's nothing you can do to be saved. You don't need the church either. There's nothing you can do. There's no good that you can do. You can do good to everybody in this world, but there's no good you can do because you weren't called. You weren't called. Um, they say there are people chosen by God to be saved and others will go to hell. It's sad. In this doctrine of Calvinism, I, I would... I would hate to be the one that God didn't choose. I would have no hope. You would have no hope whatsoever. I guess when we bring it down to our level here, what if half of Landmark Worship Center was chosen and half not? What if? If that doctrine was true, what if? That's a sad case. No hope for those lives that are not chosen. What if pastor wasn't chosen? What if Sister Burke wasn't chosen or called? What if you weren't called? That would be a tragic, tragic situation. To me, I'm just, th I'm just thinking out of common sense here. That's not the loving God that Bible, the Bible speaks of. God would pick and choose to be saved and pick and choose who's going to not be saved. So I do know that there's a scripture in the Bible in 1 Peter 1 and 17. You've all probably 
read this many times and heard it quoted many times about God is not a respecter of persons. And if ye call on the Father who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, past the time of your sojourning here in fear. But if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, he doesn't have a respect of persons. He loves us all the same. But if he's a loving God like that, why would he choose, pick and choose, you're saved, you're saved, you're not saved. You're not saved. It goes against the word of God in my thoughts here. Ephesians 6 and 9 says, And ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. Neither is there respect of persons with him. He loves us all the same. Paul had a quote in the book of 1 Corinthians 9 and 27 I feel like that also goes along with this uh, refuting of this doctrine. It says, this is Paul's quote, 1 Corinthians 9, 27, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. What does that say? It says to me that he had to do some things. He had to work at it. He had to put, uh, keep under his body and bring it into subjection so that he wouldn't be a castaway. He put effort into this, just like we need to put effort into living for God. Because when he said, uh, uh, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So that lets me know that if he doesn't do certain things in his own life, he could be a castaway. Paul. So that mean that Paul's not called? No, he was called. He was called. But there was a possibility in this scripture to me that Paul could have been lost by his lack of being prepared and allowing the flesh to rule his life. Um, matter of fact, I believe that the scripture in Matthew eleven twenty eight and 30 also uh, refutes the doctrine where God picks and chooses people because it says here in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, come unto me all, all, Ye that labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He offers that to all. All. Now I know that they have things that they say against that scripture also, but... But here's another, here's another thought. You don't read um, in the Old Testament with the children of Israel about um, once saved, always saved, or predestination, or picking and choosing. If the Lord is, and one of the scriptures I read, it said before, not scriptures, but one of the doctrines of this 
of predestination and eternal security and once saved, always saved, is before creation of the world, it says. In one of the religions, he predestinated people. But in the Old Testament, you don't see that the Lord predestinated the children of Israel. He chose all of the children of Israel. Now you might say he picked them as a group, as his people, but he didn't pick and choose out of that group. They were all, he called them as his children together. They were called to be his people. One of the things about this doctrine is, does this doctrine give you a license to sin? Just because you're saved, you're always going to be saved. The doctrine states that if you have been truly redeemed by God, you will not live a life characterized by continuous and willful sin. They say if you do live a sinful lifestyle, then you weren't truly redeemed or chosen by God in the first place. So my thoughts here, and I, and I was trying to look it up. I thought I had read this in the Bible, but I know in a roundabout way I haven't. I was looking it up, and maybe you know where the scripture is, that sin is not going to enter into heaven. I mean, that's, there's a lot of scripture that kind of base that. I've got some other scriptures here that talk about that. But if that's the case and sin's not going to enter into heaven, what if we were called by God if this doctrine's true? And we were called and we chose to walk away in sin and never repent. And then we pass from this life. Does that mean we're still saved? We have sin in our lives. No sin shall enter into heaven. Uh, talking about heaven, let's look at this scripture, Revelations 21 and 27. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. And what's written in the Lamb's book of life are those that have made themselves ready. They had to give the effort to make themselves ready. The question here is, is there anyone in this world that has not sinned after they have found salvation? I guess we could ask this congregation here, don't raise your hand, but, but if I had a show of hands in this building tonight, after you came to the Lord and repented of your sins and was filled, baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, how many here have sinned since that point. And we would probably have every hand go up at some point here. The landmark's lost. Every one of us are lost. Every one of us are, we sinned. That means that we weren't called in the first place. I, I don't, I'm not, I'm and I know that there's some things that they'll probably say to refute that, but if you went to everybody in this world that has come to the Lord and given their life and said, have you sinned since then? Everybody's probably had a failure at some point or another, but does that mean that none of us are saved? 
I, when I look at this and I think about this, these thoughts, I'm just thinking of common sense here and the Word of God. Uh, then we're all lost. There's no perfect people without sin. That's the importance of us. It's not that we we sin just to say, okay, God's going to forgive us, so we're going to go sin. And there's religions like that too. That it's okay, just go ahead and sin because God's going to forgive you. That's not right either. But repentance is there just in case we do fail. We can find redemption with the Lord, forgiveness, and thank the Lord for that. Um, But if this religion is true, or this doctrine, um, I would say that the whole world's doomed. (laughs) This doctrine would say that all that the first time you sin after salvation that you weren't saved in the first place and we're, we're all doomed. None of us are perfect. Those that stand on this doctrine, I'm sure, have sinned also at some point or another. And if that's the case, then they weren't even called. They weren't even called. We're all lost. We're all doomed to hell. It's sad if we go by that doctrine. If the true redeemed and called of God to be saved are eternally secure, then, then my thoughts, okay, then they won't sin. But that's not the case. There's failure at times. And there's grace and mercy, and thank the Lord for that. What about people in the Bible that won't be in heaven? Because they sinned after salvation and after the cross. Does that mean that they weren't truly called and saved either? You know, when I look at this, I I think God's got a real hardship here to try to find anybody who will go to heaven. But even the Bible says in 2 Timothy 4 and 10, for Demas hath forsaken me having loved this present world and has departed unto Thessalonica, Cretans to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. But he said, Demas have forsaken me. Having loved this present world, evidently he backslid. He failed. Demas. I look at this and I think God is going to have a hard time finding anyone to go to heaven. Unless everyone lives a perfect life. You enter heaven at the time of death by making yourself ready. The Bible bears that out. You make yourself ready. Um, There's a uh, um, story in the Bible that talks about ten virgins with lamps. It says that they all had an opportunity. Basically, they had lamps and they had, uh, but, but some let their oil run out of their lamps. And they came and asked for oil from the other lamps. And they said, well, you know where to go get it. You can go get it. They went and got oil for their lamps and they were trimming the lamps. But when they got back, the Lord came and the, the Bible talks about five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. Now, they could say that that means five were chosen or all called and 
five were not called. But they all had the opportunity. They just had to be ready and keep oil in their lamps. Okay? So it is a very deceiving doctrine, I believe, from Satan himself, the father of lies. It is not... Here's another scripture I feel really bears this out to refute this. Um, It is not God's will for any to perish. The Bible says, um, you know, if if it's the case that this doctrine is true of picking and choosing individuals, when we look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If he's not willing that uh, not willing that any should perish, then why is he picking and choosing? I think that bears it out quite a bit right there, in my opinion. Why is he picking and choosing and saying, okay, Jim, you can be saved. Juwan, you can't be saved. I'm not calling you. Sister Imogene, you can be saved. Titus, you can't be saved. If he doesn't want anybody to perish, why is he picking and choosing? It's because he's not picking and choosing. Because he loves us all and he opens up the opportunity for all of us to come to him. The invitation for all to come. Um, In predestination, uh, God's will is to choose certain ones for heaven, the elect and others. He predestines to hell. That's the doctrine. But I do understand that God does have foreknowledge. God knows. He knew everything that was going to happen before this world was created, before he created mankind. He knew because he has foreknowledge. He created anyway because he was wanting to give everybody an opportunity. He wants people to love him and, and serve him because they want to, not because they're forced to. Not because he picks and chooses that to happen. But I do know that he has foreknowledge. But that doesn't mean that he predestinates or picks and chooses us for heaven or hell just because he, he knows certain things. He gives us all a choice. It's his will for all to repent. That's his desire. He doesn't want any of us to perish. He wants us all to come to a place of repentance. So, when you look at this, my thoughts through the scripture is the Lord did predestinate the church to go to heaven. What I'm talking about is the church is I can go to heaven if I choose to get in the church But if I don't get in the church, I don't have a chance of getting into heaven. I'm talking about salvation, receiving salvation, getting in the church, being a part of the kingdom of God. So with 2 Peter 3 and 9, that he doesn't desire for any to perish, the church is predestined to go to heaven. It's like a cruise ship. It's like a train. It's like an airplane. If I want to fly from St. Louis to 
Los Angeles, California, which I don't know why I would ever want to do that. Let's pick somewhere else. Let's go short of California. How about I chose to go to Phoenix, Arizona? I don't know why I want to go there either. It's pretty hot there. Let's see. Let's rethink this. If I wanted to go to Branson, <laughs> heaven on earth. <laughs> the only way I'm going to get there, either I got to, you know, if, well, let's, let's do this different here. Let's change brand because it's too close, okay? Let's say if I wanted to go to Israel, let's do that. You know what happened when we went to Israel? I had to get, we, we had to get flights reserved. We had to reserve uh, uh, those flights on a certain date. Now, that airplane was going to go from St. Louis to New York and on to Israel, whether I was on it or not. It was predestined to go before that time came. But if I wanted to go to Israel, I had to get on that plane at a certain time. And I had to fly to the New York destination and get on another plane and fly to Israel. It was predestined to go. But I had a choice. I had to, be make, I had to make myself ready to get there by getting on the plane at the right time. If I missed it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be going. If I wasn't prepared, I wouldn't be going. But I believe that the church is destined for heaven, predestined to heaven. But the only way we're going to get to heaven is if we make ourselves ready, get in and receive salvation in our lives and live our lives and get, make ourselves ready for that wedding supper of the Lord. Revelation 19 and 7, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. If she had not made herself ready, think about it, if she had not made herself ready by her own decisions, would she be a part of the bride? No. Ephesians 5, 27. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Sin is a spot. Sin is a wrinkle, sin is a blemish. He wants a church. He wants a church that is a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Our choices determine if we get on in the church and make it to heaven. Now, I'm going to go a little further, and this, this is where we're going to bring it down to, is, is in the book of Matthew, chapter 22, and verse 1 through 14. And as I read these scriptures, I want you to think about it here. It's Matthew 22, 1 through 14. As I'm reading this, I want you to think about the first portion of this in my thoughts here, and I think you'll see it too, is he's talking about Israel. And in the latter part, he's talking about the Gentiles, okay? Now, 
I'm going to read this, Matthew 22, 1 through 14. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding. And they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it and went their ways. One to his farm, another to his merchandise, and the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent them forth, sent forth his armies and destroyed those murders and burned up their city. Then saith he unto the servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found Listen to this, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. Now you could look at this in the sense that the Lord, you know, when he talks about his son, we know what the son is. The son is God in flesh. He is the Messiah to Israel. He's called Israel to come to that wedding supper. But there's a lot of rebellion that's went through the years. You can read the Old Testament. Some of them were very faithful, but there's been a lot of rebellion through the years, and they ended up, their cities were burnt, their, their cities were destroyed, uh, they were uh, cast out, they were put in uh, other countries in, in uh, uh, like a, a prison type of situation in their life, and um, they were uh, called, but they took it lightly. They rebelled. They followed other gods. They worshipped idols. He said, Behold, I prepared a dinner, my oxen. My fatlings are killed, and all the things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murders and burned, and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, the wedding is ready. It's ready. They were invited. They were called. Let me stop here and say one thing about the word called. When you look at the scripture in the book of Romans, it says they were called. You know what that means? One of the meanings of that word called means invited. Invited. I get invited to weddings and different things. It doesn't always mean that I can go. Some of them are out of state, but I've been invited. I have an option to go if I make myself ready. Some I can go to, some I can't. It's not that I take it lightly. But there are some that the Lord has called and invited to come, but they take it so lightly that they don't make themselves ready for the wedding they don't make themselves ready to come. But he said, the wedding's ready, but they which were 
bid were not worthy. So then he gave him instruction. We're going to have this wedding. It's ready. He said, go ye therefore into the highways and as many as ye find, bid to the marriage. As many as you find. Just go out and, 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 and find them. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both good and bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. Bad and good. He invited them all. And when the king came in, I look at that as Gentiles, us, Gentiles. We were called to that wedding feast. We didn't have an opportunity before, but we do now. And when the king came in to see the guest, he saw there, were, there a man which had not on a wedding garment. Verse 12, and he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in thither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Sounds like hell to me. For many are called, but few are chosen. What does that mean? Many are invited, but few are chosen because they haven't made themselves ready. And he put that down here after he was talking about the man was invited to the wedding, but he didn't really make himself ready for the wedding. He didn't have his, the, the, the proper garments on. He, didn't, he took it lightly too, but he was invited and he came, but he was cast out. And what it says to me is God is inviting everybody come to the wedding feast. Everybody has an opportunity to come. But yet, by our decisions, we either get in the boat and go to the destination or we don't get in the boat and go to the destination. You see what I'm saying? The Lord's calling the church. But we must, actually, we need to go into the highways and byways and compel them to come in. Both good and bad, the invitation is to all people. We are called to go to heaven, but if we don't prepare for the wedding with the wedding garments, we will not be chosen to stay. It's our decision. He opens up that avenue of invitation to all of us. It's ours at, the make, at our making. So when you look at this, I believe that God invites all. I look at this as God called Israel to be with him in heaven because of the rebellion against God. They didn't come or were preoccupied with whatever idols, other types of worship. And for this reason, God turned to the Gentiles. Go ye therefore into the highways and as many as ye shall find bid to the marriage. He's calling us. He's inviting us. You don't have to go if you don't want to. But he's inviting us. There's a beautiful place beyond this world in eternity. It's our choice. We can go, or we don't have to go. But if we choose not to go, it's a terrible thing. But he's looking for a bride that makes themselves ready. How do you make yourself ready? By surrendering to God in repentance, by giving your life, washing your sins away in a watery grave in the name of Jesus Christ. 
by receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence speaking in tongues, by walking a godly life. You can't receive those things and all of a sudden say, okay, I've got salvation now, so I don't need to come back to church anymore. I don't need a pastor to preach to me or teach to me. I don't need the word of God because I am always saved. I'm always saved. And I know that everything I've talked about, and like I said, it's not complete, exhaustive on this subject, but I know that they could have certain things they could say against what I've said here tonight. But the only thing I can say is what does thus saith the word of God? There is a wedding feast that the Lord has prepared for us. And it's so important for us to understand we're living in the end time right now. We're living in a time where the Bible is being fulfilled and we can see it in the news every day. Things are happening. It's a crazy, crazy, crazy world. But we need to hold on to the word of God. God has opened up the avenue and invites us all to come. It's not that he's picked and choose. We're all here ready to make a choice, to make ourselves ready that when he does come, I'm ready. If I fail, God, search my heart, see if there be any wicked way within me and make sure that I'm ready. I want to be ready. I want my wedding garments to be uh, ironed. I don't want to be wrinkled. I don't want to have blemishes or spots on them. I don't want sin on them. Uh, if, I, if I do fail God, I want to be able to go to that altar repentance and ask him to forgive me so we can get this thing ready. I've got to make it to, and you've got to make it to the wedding supper of the Lord. It's going to be a beautiful, beautiful time. It's going to be a beautiful wedding for the church. It's going to be a beautiful time for the bride of Christ. And we want to make ourselves ready. Here, and one more thought, and I'm going to close on this. One more thought about this is, if this doctrine is true, why would we even need to evangelize? Why would, matter of fact, Matthew 28, 19, why would he put this in here? Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world, Amen. So be it. Why would we need to even have that scripture for evangelism if some are saved and some are not saved? Let's just go fishing somewhere. Go to a store. Go do whatever. Why, why do we need to evangelize? Those that are going to be called are going to be saved. Those that are not called are not going to be saved. So what is the purpose of that? What, what is the purpose of the scripture that says uh, he will come like a thief in the night to be ready for the thief to come? And that's, he's not a thief. He's not trying to steal anything. But a thief comes in your home. If you're not prepared for them or ready for them, they can steal you blind. But if you're ready for them, they can't steal from you. But what he was saying is a thief comes in without an introduction or without a proclamation that, hey, I'm going to come and steal from your house. I'm going to take everything out of your house. Now, if someone comes up to you and says that, I'm going to come and steal everything out of your house. You know what you do? You would put locks and bolts on the door and you'd be prepared. Some would have, uh, be locked and loaded, so to speak. We'd be ready for it. But a thief, well, what is the purpose of us watching 
if we are predestinated. Those going to heaven will go regardless. Those destined to hell, they won't have a difference. It's not going to make any difference. Why would he put this scripture in there of the thief in the Bible if we are, if it doesn't mean anything? What do we get to be prepared for? Some are called, some are not called. But that's not the case. He's saying, be ready. Revelation 3 and 3, remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If there for thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. And then, of course, in the scriptures, and I won't read this, but Matthew 24 and 36 through 44 talks about the, the hour. That one will be grinding at the middle, one will be taken. That's not because God's choosing certain ones. It's because someone wasn't ready and someone was ready. Amen? I'm going to close on that. I know that's a lot to chew on for a while. And it could go further and further than that, but that's as far as I'm going to go with it. But, but I think we just need to be prepared for these things and understand the Scripture. Because we will be confronted on this, and it's not that we want to just sit and debate, but we do want to understand what needs to be said and we need to do it in a, way, in a manner that we can reach people and minister to people. Some people you'll never reach, but we can try and we can pray and we can seek the Lord. But some people are hungry and they will be reached. And they will see the truth and they will see the light. And we need to walk in that truth and walk in that light. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand and go to the Lord here tonight and give him thanks for the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord settles everything. It settles everything. Let's thank him tonight for the word. God, we thank you for being able.